You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Church and Pleasant Green Road. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now here's our pastor with this week's sermon. And we do that in the context 
of developing authentic followers of Jesus Christ who impact the world. That's our goal. That's why we exist. And so last week when we were talking about administering, we said we are stewards because God owns it all. And because God has poured His grace on us, we want to express ourselves in generosity. And we want to have an eternal perspective. And, and basically what that came, comes down to is sometimes we have to let go of what's in our wallet or purse or pocketbook, depending on where you're from. You have to let go of some of those things and say, God, it's yours. I don't own it, even though I may be carrying it somewhere, like in a phone or in a pocket or somewhere, it's still yours. God owns it all. And so my job is to be generous with what God has allowed me to steward. And then the other part of that was that eternal perspective, understanding that you don't get to take it with you. And so it, it's a much bigger picture than what we would imagine or realize. That God is at work doing something that has an eternal perspective and not just a here perspective. So if we only have the perspective that it's for here, then we have a limited amount of understanding of what's going to happen. If our perspective is only here, then the float that's in the parade next Saturday, yeah, next Saturday the second, right? Good. Um, that, that float has just next weekend in mind. That's it. But if we look at it as an eternal perspective, is that float's going there, and it's gonna, and because there's gonna be people surrounding that float, there's gonna be things handed out, there's gonna be people involved in going down the, the street. Um, Faith Baptist is gonna be part of that. It has an eternal perspective because you don't know how it's gonna touch somebody else's life. So don't ever look at it like, well, that's just a weekend thing. It's much bigger than that. What happens because we are obedient to God is much bigger than we can realize and understand this side of heaven. So we talked about that. We talked, the second part of that was that we are ambassadors. We are children of God and we have responsibilities. We get the right to be called heirs of a king. And at the same time, we have the responsibility to act like we belong to God. So we want our lives to portray who we are. So we want to be obedient to Him in everything that we do. And that obedience takes us down the, this road. And we, we talked very specifically about giving as we started getting into our budget. Talking about our budget. We said giving is not about the resources that you've been given. It's about the heart that is affected by God to allow God to use the resources you so in essence, understanding God owns it all goes back to that. And so checking the heart to see if, if your heart is correct in giving, that 2 Corinthians passage where it says that God loves a cheerful or hilarious giver. Willing, willing to say, God, I want to, I want to affect things for your kingdom. And the one thing that I don't know if you noticed when you picked up the, the budget was in that vision book, and if you don't have one, I encourage you to get one. They're in the foyer. But one of the things in there is part of the budget this year is there are two extra pieces toward the end of it. There's a there's a piece called capital savings that is a percentage-based budget line item. And there's a one called debt retirement. And it's like 0.75% of what is received on a Sunday will go to those. And so capital savings is one of those areas where we said, okay, if an air conditioner goes out or if a roof needs to be replaced or we do something like, like one of the things was this week, you don't realize it right now, but you could have gotten high in here on Tuesday and Wednesday because the baptistry got refinished because there were cracks in the fiberglass. And so a guy came up here and he was sanding away and then he coated it and it, and it was potent in here. <laughs> Ted, Ted had all the, the doors open. We had to keep an eye on him. <laughs> so stuff like that comes out of that, where you have unexpected expense, but you put away enough money. It's that emergency fund you put away so that you can handle some of the things that you need to do, and you have to do. So we have capital savings. And debt retirement 
is just that over and above piece from our budget that we'll give as people give toward the debt retirement of North, this, this debt retirement piece of our budget will just be over and above that. So it doesn't replace people giving to get rid of the $540,000 debt in North Campus. It adds to it so we can get rid of it faster. And then it won't be that, that piece that kind of holds back because we say, well, we don't have money to do that. We've got this debt. We've got to get past that. Because God wants us to do something with that property up there. He wants us to do it in a way that will affect our community around us. So all these things, this administer is part of that pray acrostic where we promote. We're talking about small groups reach to equip and send. And then A is that administer where we take care of God's, the resources God has given us, steward those. And then the why was yielded. Having that safe place where people can have a conversation about growing in their faith and developing in their faith. Understanding who God is. We said all that is because we want to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ who impact the world. That's the bottom line. It's why we exist. So to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. What does it look like to be an authentic follower? We've kind of broken this out a little bit. We're going to talk a little more because today we're going to talk about discipleship. Discipleship in light of the budget that, got, that we had before us. We'll be voting on the budget next week, but discipleship is part of that budget. Um, discipleship, the discipleship section is gener has generational pieces to it. It's preschool, children, student ministry, and adult ministry, but it would also include worship. Technically, worship is part of discipleship. Because there is doctrine, whether we realize it or not, there is doctrine on the screens while we're singing. Come and see what God has done. That's just a choir special that says, hey, it's the same thing that we find in Matthew chapter 4 and 5. Going all the way through Scripture, come and see what God has done. Look at this. Is God is at work. So we, we say that's part of discipleship. What's it look like? I'll tell you the story of a guy, and um, you don't know him. He doesn't live here. He actually lives in Florida or lived in Florida. He, he was a guy that um, we've known for, or I've known for a long time. And uh, he was very giving, very cordial. Um, he had some very specific jobs that he did that um, had to do with security. So you never knew exactly what he was doing, but you just knew he was working. And so he would... He would just kind of tell us a little bit about that, but not very much. And he developed um, or had growing in him a mesothelioma. And we watched him um, over a course of, course of time. We weren't really around him very much while he was dealing with the, the pain and the inconvenience and the, um, and the, the hurt and the debilitating condition of that disease. We got to visit with him a couple of times and, and his life was kind of filled with not just the pain, but smiles. Like, how, how do you do that? He was a guy who had a testimony of God's goodness in his life. He invested in the lives of others. He was a reflector of God's grace. And if I had to say anything about him as you talk to him, whether he was having a good day or a bad day, he was a thankful guy. He was a, a man that expressed God through his life, although he was dealing with, with some things that I could not relate to. And most everybody around us in that particular scenario couldn't relate to him. He was still the guy who would hold the door on the way into the restaurant knowing that he was in worse shape than everybody than everybody who walked in before him. He was just thankful. John Piper said it this way, kind of describing this. He said, the key to unlocking the heart of thankfulness and overcoming bitterness, ugliness, and disrespect and violence is a strong belief in God, the creator and sustainer and provider and hope giver. 
What John Piper is saying is circumstances, all the things that go on around us, all the things you see on the news, all that pales in comparison to what God can do. And then Charles Wendell said this, and, I, and I've got it written in one of my Bibles, and I can't even tell you when I read it, but I remember it was there. It says, hard times don't erase God's promises. Harsh treatment doesn't escape God's notice, and heavy tests don't eclipse God's concern. We have a God that is intimately acquainted with all that we go through, and all that we are, and loves us, and pours His grace on us. Being an authentic follower of Jesus does not insulate you from stuff. It does, not, it does not insulate you from going through trials, separate you from that. But it also doesn't mean, having that relationship with Christ does not also mean that, that God just kind of pours all these material blessings on you so that you don't have to worry about anything. You say, well, isn't that what it says? No. That would be this idea that, that God is just going to pour money into your life because you become a follower of this. That's not true. Some of the people with the strongest faith are the people that struggle every single week to, to pay their bills. Because they've gotten to the place where they rely on God more than they rely on anything. Even in this life of injustice and difficulty, frustration and blessing, we have to have a thankful attitude, a thankful heart. So I want to go to Psalm 116 for a few minutes and then we're going to flip over to, to the book of Matthew. Psalm 116, if you would stand as we read this together. Psalm 116, 16, and 17 says, O Lord, surely I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You have loosed my bonds. To you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. Catch what it says. Surely I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You, you have loosed my bonds. To you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. Let's pray again. Father, it is hard to put a price on salvation from our perspective. So God, we are grateful, thankful that you did. That you allowed your son to go to a cross purposefully going to the cross to shed blood on our behalf so that we can have a relationship with you. And so, Father, we, like the psalmist, would declare our thankfulness to you because you saved us. And there may be some somebody in this room that is in that spot where say, I don't know that. Father, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. That they may understand the, the peace and the joy that comes through a relationship with Christ that goes beyond the circumstances of living daily. And it's just one of those things, that, that those anchors in our life that we can hold on to regardless of circumstances. So Father, I pray you would draw them to yourself. And I thank you for what the psalmist writes and what we're going to learn as we go through this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Psalmist says some pretty interesting things in this, in this passage, in this section of Psalm 116. O Lord, surely I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You've loosed my bonds. And that, that phrase is pretty interesting because it, it really kind of means that, that you've, um, you've broken something that was pretty secure. The, the context of this passage is salvation. So what we look at it, we say, you lose my bonds, which means if I was not saved, then I am in bondage. And if I'm in bondage, it makes it really hard to do anything 
makes it really hard to be thankful. makes it really hard to live a life for God if you're in bonds to sin. Yet Christ came to loose those bonds, to, to set us free. Uh, I don't know if you've watched the news with Charles Manson's death and, and all that that has taken place over the last week or so. And uh, regardless of what you think about that and what you know about that situation, obviously it was awful and it was terrible. We would never set him loose on parole. If you watch any of the interviews, you go, this guy's kind of out there. And yet, he faces the same God that we do. And so we can't really make judgments. We'd say his sin is much worse than any of our sin. But really, if you are in sin, if, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're destined for the same punishment as Him. It's a separation from God. Eternal life in hell in torment. You don't get a pass. I don't get a pass. He doesn't get a pass. Apart from giving our life to Christ and accepting that forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. And so when the psalmist writes this, he understands. He understands there is no escaping the judgment of God. So he says, it's good to be loose from those bonds. It's good to experience salvation because I don't have to deal with the penalty of my sin anymore. So therefore, I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, this word to, to cry out or to call upon the name means to, to cry out, not be silent. It's not an inward thing. It becomes an outward thing. So proclaiming Christ as Lord of your life is as much an outward thing as baptism is when we talk about baptism. Being an outward sign of what is taking place on the inside. So when the psalmist writes this, he say this has happened in his life and it changes the way he perceives things. There's something that begins in us when we move from death or under the penalty and judgment of our own sin to life, to a new creation. A heart of thanksgiving, thanksgiving comes through a life in Christ as a life is developed in Christ. So the question this morning is, what did Jesus think? What did he want to do in somebody's life? He wanted to see transformation take place, right? He wanted to see some guys, at least when we start reading in Matthew 4, he wanted to see some guys whose life perspective would change drastically. So we go to, to Matthew chapter 4. And consider what Jesus did over his three years of ministry with this group of guys. Because he took guys that you and I wouldn't have chosen. He took guys who would say, if I had to pick somebody to be on my team, they would not be it. How have you ever been put in that spot growing up where you divided into teams? You always had that, that one or two that would say, You know, for, for playing basketball, that was me. I had to, I had to have things vertically. But the only thing in my favor was I had fairly long arms and I was skinny enough to fit between two people. That was it. But I was not, I, I'm still not. I, I'm probably down to a quarter inch vertically. And then it hurts. So, but Jesus picked these guys. He said, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something with their lives. So the first thing we have to understand is that Jesus invites with purpose. Jesus invites with purpose. It says, now as Jesus was walking, this is chapter 4, verse 18. As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So this is their life, livelihood. They're fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I want to stop right there, because that whole phrase just kind of confuses me. And if I am a fisherman, I know how to catch fish. And so I understand the correlation, but 
God, what does it mean when you say we're going to be fishers of men? We know how to do the other. It's just kind of be like we carry it around nets and catch guys. We would find them in town. We can go do that, right? So if you look at this phrasing, you're like, that doesn't even, doesn't really make sense. But Jesus is going to develop these guys. He's got this starting place. He said immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two old other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So Jesus' call was for them to either get out of the boat, but it was really to leave everything that they knew behind and follow him. To not hold anything back. And wouldn't that be a strange thing if Jesus came walking down and said, I want you to give up everything, come follow me. What would you have to give up? What would it be, what would that be called? What would it look like? What would it sound like? To hear those words. And everything that you own stays while you live. Jesus was calling them on purpose, inviting them on purpose. He called them to change. If nothing else was true in the disciples' life, when Jesus called them away from their boats, away from their nets, he was calling them to change. You say, well, I don't like change. Jesus is all about change. If change is not part of the equation, then what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? <coughs> change is part of the equation. It's God asking us to leave everything that's behind and follow Him with everything that we are. And saying, God, I surrender. Just as I am, I surrender everything. Jesus didn't say, hey, guys, I want you to figure this stuff out about what it means to follow God and then come join me down the road. He said, drop it all. Come follow me. There's personal change that takes place in the life of these guys. And Jesus is going to spend three years kind of laying it out for them. And he's going to take them on a journey. So Jesus invites them with purpose. The second thing is Jesus instructs them with power. In Matthew 10, as we kind of walk through this, verse 1 says, Jesus summoned the, his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. That's a pretty big job. I give you authority to go and do something. Do something that nobody else can do. Giving you the authority to do it. And then down in verse 5, it says, These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. Catch what Jesus says to these guys. I'm giving you the authority to go. And you're to do this. And there's to be no safeguard in your belt. I'm not going to ask this question because I don't want you to get bugged on the way out or anything like that. But how many of you have a little stash somewhere, like in your pocketbook, pocketbook or your wallet or something, say, that's my emergency money. It's been folded in there forever. And if I ever have an emergency, I can get to it. I know exactly where it's at. Yeah, a lot of us would. It's that safety net for us. And so what Jesus is saying in this, he says, no safety nets. 
You guys just go with the authority of God. You go and heal. Heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. I want you to go. So what Jesus is doing is he's sending them. He's had, he has equipped them and he's sending them. Does that sound familiar? It's one of those vision statements, right? It's the reach part. To equip and send us for intentional gospel conversations. That's what Jesus is doing with these guys. And he says, freely give as you have freely received. So as you're walking down the street or walking in the mall or going to shopping or, or wherever it happens to be, it's not that you say, you don't get to have this. It's, I'm going to give this to you. I've received it freely. So there's no reason for me to hold back. I cannot be selfish with the gift of God. But Jesus goes on and says this. said, behold, in verse 16, says, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. All right, so Jesus, you're going to give me authority to go. You're going to send me out. And then you tell me, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. How comforting is that? But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So these guys are equipped to go. Jesus says, I send you out with authority. And when you go, it's going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy. Well, we, we kind of want evangelism to be easy. We want to be able to walk up to somebody and, and you say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? Oh, Yeah. Tell me now. Let's go. And before you ever finish, say, oh yeah, I want to pray. And I, and I want to ask Christ in my life. And then they, they come here and, and they bring their whole wallet to the, to the front at some point and say, I'm just going to give it all. And we love that. But that's not the way it works. Jesus sends us out among people that may want to push us back and push us away. So Jesus says, you'll be told what you should to say it'll be okay you go in my authority you go equipped and sent to have conversation with these people and to heal every kind of disease and sickness understanding it's going to be tough and you're going to get you're going to get beaten and you're going to get put in jail and all these things are going to happen to you and you've got to trust me you've got to trust me and then in verse 28 says, do not fear those who kill the body but are, are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear you, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Some of us read that and then we go, I don't have that many hairs up there anyways. It does not stop God from thinking about you. It does not stop God from caring about you. The context of this is being sent out into very difficult places, and yet it says that God notices. God is very aware. And He will take care of you. third piece of this is not is not only is Jesus inviting with purpose and instructing with power but he inspires with prosperity and I want you to hear this because it's a different kind of prosperity Matthew 19 verse 27 says then Peter said to him and this is on the heels of a conversation with a young man who thought he had his life together and when Jesus gives him reality the guy goes I know Verse 27 says, Then Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. And, and 
And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you have followed me. In the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. I want you to catch what Jesus says here. As he's telling these guys, I said, we've, we've left everything. Remember, we left our nets. We left family. We left fishing. We left our jobs. We left career. We left all of that to come follow you. And then you, then you took us and you developed us a little bit. Then you sent us out and, says, and, and said that it's going to be very difficult, but I'm going with you. And then we get to this spot where it's just, we've, the rich young ruler says, I've done everything that I know to do. You've got to give up all. And these guys are like, he gave up all. And we're pretty good, aren't we? Jesus reminds them that they, although they may have given up everything here that they understand, there's something beyond this life that is much bigger and much more profitable. <coughs> much more prosperous than what they can imagine. So we can't get into that spot where we judge prosperity by what we see here. You cannot judge prosperity by the size of a house that you drive by or the kind of car somebody drives because those are temporary. The prosperity in God's economy is much different. Prosperity in God's economy is where is the heart, where is the soul? How does that match up to what I provided through Jesus Christ? Because there are a lot of people with lots of money that are that are lonely and forsaken and destitute and have no idea what it is to have a relationship with God and are drowning in the weight of their sin. And yet somebody you would say drives that. And I, and I remember driving one of these, a 1974 Corolla that burned more oil than it did gas. And yet have, have the, the wealth of heaven at their disposal because they've given their life to Christ. God runs on a different economy. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Jesus kind of lays it out and gives this invitation. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I put that in the, in the scope of Matthew 10, where he says, go and go among wolves. It's obvious that Jesus has something very different in mind. We have to trust that God is in control regardless of the circumstances around us. We have to be thankful regardless of the circumstances around us. This thankfulness recognizes the God in eternity, not just us. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and, and Bobby mentioned it this morning, and I was thinking, he's got a whole lot of this. Be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication. Make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And Paul writes that. It's not, he doesn't write that because everything's going great all the time. He writes that because he knows that our default is to look to what, what we can control. He says you can't control it all. But be thankful that you know a God who does. Then 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says this, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's that recognition of God in control, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety or worry on Him because He cares for you. Don't let the idea that God cares for you escape you in the midst of circumstances. Thankfulness 
it is, is important regardless of the circumstances of this life because God is at work in you and me. He is orchestrating, he is, he is putting together, together this tapestry of somebody who is following him and being refined to portray or reflect the image of his son, Jesus. Jesus spent three years of intense discipleship with a small group, a group that was still imperfect and still a work in progress. But he had them in the environment for growth and development. Jesus' purpose was not to create religious people. Religious people are easy to find. He did not want to create religious people religious people perfect in the eyes of other, others who wanted to create reflectors of themselves. Reflectors of the character of God. Reflectors of the glory of God. We were driving on this, I guess it was this past week. We were driving over to Hillsborough early in the morning. Now, I'll just tell you, it's a struggle to get up early to go to a gym. Some of you do it much better than I do. I just keep buying bigger stuff. So, this is kind of the way it works. So, when we got up that morning, we were heading to the gym, drive down the interstate, and it was just about that time where the sun was starting to come up. So, you get in a valley and, and it's, it's still shady, you get up to the top of the hill and you can see the sun in the rear view mirror from the direction we were going. But on one of those uphill climbs, there is a sign that it says something. I don't even know what it says. So it's, it's got words, I don't know, about trucks or weight limits or something. Anyways, we're, we're getting at that sign, and the sun is reflecting off that sign. To the point where it's like, that sign is too bright. I can't see anything. Because what I'm getting is every bit of the reflection of the sun through that sign. That's exactly what God wants to do in us. Is He wants your life to be read in such a way that they're not reading you, they are only seeing the reflection of Jesus. God wants to create in our lives that, that reflection of His character and His glory. Don't miss it. You're a work in progress and I'm a work in progress. And, and any time we get in a spot where we're placed in such a way that the sun hits us and reflects back so that others see Jesus, it's a win. So when we go down the street in Hillsborough, next Sunday night, let Jesus reflect off of us. It's a win. We take care of our buildings or pay off the debt or develop more small groups or send people out or let people question and work through their faith, it's a win because we're reflecting the character of Jesus that he developed in guys that you and I wouldn't give a second thought to. He took guys that nobody wanted and developed, in, developed them into authentic followers of Jesus Christ who impacted the world. You and I would not be here if these guys had not listened to Jesus and as they were equipped and sent, they did what they were told to do. What does God want to do through us? Well, He wants to develop us into reflectors of Himself. Authentic followers of Jesus who impact the world. That may mean that, that we spend twice as much money as we're currently spending on discipleship because we want to be a church that provides those small group opportunities for people to develop in their faith. The only way that budget part of our that part of our budget increases, so we take care of it. So if you look at the budget, you're going to go, ah, no big deal. I want to tell you that every single line item means something. Every single piece of that budget means something. Don't discount it as something just because you may not understand it or may not be invested in it personally. Allow God to use us as reflectors of Him for all the development in our lives as disciples that want to follow Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength.
us. God's wanting to develop us into flyers. Will we allow There's a two-part invitation this morning. As we understand that God takes us as we are. And he develops us. He took these guys that had no idea at the beginning of the day that would be following Jesus. And he took them and, and God started this process in them as they started to trust him. You may be in this spot this morning where you're going, I've never trusted Christ, but I know from looking at this that I want to be part of something bigger. These guys didn't know what was ahead of them when they left their nets. They just knew they were following something or somebody that had something bigger in mind. And so they did. And I want to invite you to turn your life over to Christ. Say, I want to be part of something bigger. I want to be part of what God is doing in this world and around me. So maybe in turning your life over to Christ, you realize that you're a sinner. You need to be saved. The second part of the invitation this morning is an expression of thankfulness. We can be thankful for the, all that's around us. As we develop, it, develop as followers, we develop a heart of thankfulness that says, God, you've loosed me from my bonds. Therefore, I want to offer praise and thanksgiving to you. You need to be thankful. And it may be thankful because of somebody else that's in the room. That God has used somebody. And you need to express that. So the second part of this invitation is an expression of thankfulness. It may mean turning to the person that's next to you and saying, I want to thank you for, and you fill in the blank. It may mean that you have to walk across the room. And I realize that you start moving a whole bunch of people around, it can get chaotic, it won't be fun. Maybe you have to cross the room and say, I just want you to know I'm thankful for you and what God has done through you in my life. Maybe that. It may be that you need to come to the altar and just spend time thanking God for what He's done for you. Thank Him directly. So to come to Christ, to be thankful, are ways that we're going to express our obedience in this invitation, this, this response and commitment to who Jesus is and what he's done in our life. Let's pray. And then as God leads you, respond to the invitation this morning. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank, we thank you that you saved those of us who have given our life to Christ, you saved us, not just from something, but to something. You saved us to be those followers of you that reflect your character. And so, Father, I pray this morning that, that we would be obedient to you. As you remind us of things we need to be thankful for, and all that surrounds that as we kind of had that whole atmosphere, environment of thankfulness this weekend. God, it seems only appropriate that we come before you and thank you. So God, we love you. Be honored by our obedience this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? And as God leads you, respond to him. Don't wait. Whether it's across the room, next, next to you, or up here at the altar, you respond to God as we call you this
us next Sunday at 10.30 a.m. for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, then please share it with others and check out our ministries at ebcconnect.org.